Welcome to Growth Colony, Australia's B2B growth podcast. I'm Alex Hipwell. Each episode, we bring you B2B founders, CMOs, marketing and sales leaders to find out what makes them successful and what was behind their failures. Let's dive right in. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I'm Shane Hoda with X-Growth. And today I'm talking to Ruth Stevens, B2B marketing consultant, author and educator about everything marketing and data and why data is becoming more and more important in the B2B landscape. On that note, let's dive in. Ruth, thanks for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you. It's it's such an honor having you, Ruth, because you bring such a wealth of knowledge and, and experience in the B2B space. And, you know, you work at multiple universities and you teach so many young marketers about the future of marketing. So I'm very excited for us to have this conversation and, uh, and, and dive right into it. So we're talking data, we're talking B2B, we're talking marketing. Let's, let's start with this. Where do you think data sits on marketers' radar and B2B marketers' radar today? Oh, this is a, a pain point, as we say. <laughs> I, I'm afraid that the typical B2B marketing professional is not thinking about data much at all and maybe has a plan to have it managed well in the company, but has delegated responsibility for it to somebody over here who is either the data administrator or has some other title. And I think that's a big mistake. I think we marketing professionals need need to understand it. We need to own it. We need to live it and nurture it to its best value because it's a corporate asset and also a marketing tool of extraordinary value. So yeah, very true. That's my little soapbox. Thank you. No, that, that, <laughs> no, I love that. Let's talk about what we mean by data, right? Because I think the word gets thrown around quite often and people are like, oh, you got to be data driven. And, you know, we're in the agency world and every agency now is like, we are a data driven agency, right? And you're like, okay, what does that mean? Right. And, and, and it's just I feel like it's more of a buzzword now of, of uh, being data driven. What is, what is when you talk about data, what are you exactly envisioning? What are you thinking? Uh, and, and how does that look for you exactly? I'll tell you exactly what I mean. I mean, the customer record or the prospect record, meaning the contact information, the company information, the additional Points like firmographics, industry, company size, information about the nature of the relationship you've had with them, if any. It's, in other words, it's the recorded memory of the customer relationship. And it's housed these days in a CRM system. It might be in a marketing database of another sort, but it is the record that allows us to understand how we're connected with this customer, and to give us the insight into the the customer's needs. And in the B2B world, it can be organized at the company level, the account level, or at the contact level. Usually, you start with the account, and then you populate additional contact names within that account or link them. So that's what I'm talking about. And when many marketers say we're data-driven, they're really talking about media buying. Yeah. Like, you know, so and that that's important, but it's only one piece of 
data in B2B. Yeah. So, yeah. So the media driven component is when you are, you know, running ads, whether traditional offline, uh, offline media or online media. And, you know, you are data driven in the sense that you know your conversion rates, you know, you know, your impressions. How does that convert into clicks and how does that convert into kind of maybe leads and, and pipelines, so on and so forth. But the kind of data that you're talking about is you need to have more visibility in terms of your customer and, and data on the people that you're going after, you know, who are the people in, in, their, in this organization and, uh, you know, that, that are important. What have we, again, as you said, what have we done with them in the past? And what are some of the things that could, could be appealing to them? And, you know, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up because I feel that kind of, that set of data traditionally in the B2B space sat with the sales team quite a lot, right? The sales team, you know, held a lot of that data because maybe they were on the front line of conversations with, with marketers. Is that something you've seen as well, that maybe marketers need to also leverage sales team information to, uh, to, to get a better understanding of the customer? Well, these days, mostly that customer record is in the hands of some responsible party, some, some tool in the company where it's accessible by marketing and sales and fulfillment and finance and everybody else. So that's less of a problem. In I think you're referring to an era where a salesperson would have a, a black book of contacts and wouldn't want to share it with the rest of the company because the salespeople jolly well knew that it is an asset and a source of power and, um, and results. But I think... More, more likely, it's housed in some kind of corporate repository, usually a CRM system. The, the big problems with these customer records is that, well, there's a million problems, but the most challenging one is, and the one that is actually pretty fixable, is that data degrades really fast in B2B. People change jobs, and they change companies, and they change you know, phone numbers. And there, there are a bunch of studies usually performed by, or produced by database marketing companies that talk about data degradation and accuracy. And it's horrifying. Phone numbers and titles are among the most volatile data elements. But the other big problem is completeness. And you can buy lots of data about companies and prospects from third parties, but it may not be the data that you need to understand them and service them properly. So often we have to go grab up additional data elements basically by hand for top prospects and even existing customers. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I mean, I, I've, I've read the, the stats that, you know, 20% of your, your CRM data is obsolete within 12 months, right? And that kind of repeats. So if you don't renew that, you can imagine, you know, what would happen, for example, in three years time, it's, it's almost, uh, you could, you could just throw it out. It's scary. Yeah, yeah, very true. So let's talk about, let's get, let's get practical. Where should marketers start in your opinion? You know, when it comes to data and gathering, I mean, obviously the first step is gathering that data. Where, where should they start? They should start with their internal sources. So that would be billing systems, 
that would be sales contact records, like you mentioned. These days, that tends to be in a, in a Salesforce automation or marketing CRM type system. But the, the reason I make that point is that before you buy a scrap of third-party data, you should examine, gather and deduplicate and examine your existing customer data and make sure it's accessible and sortable. That's really what you want in a marketing database. And then, then start segmenting it, meaning what I would recommend is segmenting by value determining what are what are our top accounts. Let's make sure we have all the information we need about our key accounts. Most B2B companies are operating on the 80-20 rule where the bulk of their revenue and profits come from a much smaller percentage of their customers, 80-20. So the, that top 20, 20% of customers are where you really want to focus your efforts. Make sure you have the correct name, job role, title, phone number of the important influencers and decision makers, end users, and dare I say it, purchasing professionals in those accounts and keep those up to date. It's pretty pretty straightforward. It's not, you know, but it, it requires an understanding of the importance of the data and a willingness to do the dogged work of maintaining it and and enhancing it regularly okay okay so so first look go through your internal systems get that data see what you have where where is it stored then think about where what are the top accounts that that are really important to your organization and prioritize those tier those whatever you want to call it but prioritize them in some format and then start to further enrich that that data specifically for the for the companies that are important important to you right now i'm going to come to this whole point of enriching data because mm. i mean my goodness that market is so crazy i mean i get emails about hey we can build you lists uh, on daily basis i'm sure you get it as well and and then you know you you have those right who who there's like kind of like no record of them all the way to some of the big players like Zoom and Foway you know after their merger with Discover Org I think they're now like a ten billion dollar business right and and everything in between so what where should marketers start when it comes to th- thinking about buying data they they have their prioritized accounts they know the important accounts now they're like okay I need to enrich this. Where should they start from there? Great. Then the second step then would be to decide what data elements you need. Because as you pointed out earlier, there you, you need to be disciplined about this. You don't want to maintain data that's not going to have real business value for the firm. And this is not a trivial question. Do, do we need how many contact names do we need in our accounts? Which contact names by job role, title, and about them, what information do we need to know? And what kinds of phonographic data elements are essential to our success? So I call this a data strategy. And you'll list up probably with lots of arguments around the various stakeholders. And and then you go find a vendor to help you a 
append that enrichment to your customer records. And these days you've already mentioned Zoom, which is a market leader today, the, the tried and true stalwarts are Dun and Bradstreet and Info Group, and there are a million other vendors out there. There are really only way less than a hundred vendors that I would recommend. I would start with the big guys, frankly, because they already have that, you know, experience and, and trustworthiness. You also may be able to find vendors who have specializations in certain industry sectors or, or functional sectors that are important to you. But eventually, Shaheen, you may end up having to do some handwork because even if you try all of the vendors, you're not going to get a 100% match rate on your top, top accounts and maybe your second best uh, accounts. And we also have to talk about prospecting data. We, you know, I'm sure you, that's on your list. But the, the thing that is scary is that a B2B marketer may say, well, you know, I'll just, I'll just take everything. No, no, let's, let's be disciplined about this. Let's make sure we've really thought through what, what we need. Let's work with a, a reliable, trustworthy provider and see, see where things land. You might get as small as a 15% uh, match rate. Now, at the company level, you'll get a much higher match rate, but at the contact level, you may not. So ultimately, you may hire a college student <laughs> to do some LinkedIn research for you. And so that ends up happening. Yeah, I think there is, there's always a little bit of a desk work that is involved in that, in that process. You talked about prospecting data. Let's talk about that. Let's let's go and, and explore that a little bit. What is um, you know, you, you get the contact details. Is, is that what you mean by prospect data, or or you go you go further? What I mean in, by prospect data is accounts that we we haven't done business with yet. They're often called net new accounts, accounts with whom we have no relationship. So we don't know the account. We don't know anybody in the account. But we want to expand our customer base. And then the, the, the second tier of that would be names of uh, potential buyers at existing accounts and net new accounts. So that's generally what's meant by prospecting data at the account level and the contact level. And this is where we, we run into some real nightmares because those ridiculous scurrilous, untrustworthy vendors who are pounding your inbox are likely selling that stuff. It's often stolen or it's 10 years old or it's scraped and improperly deduped or otherwise cleaned up. And it's just not worth the bits and bytes that it's written on. Not worth the investment. That's uh, that's a very good point. I mean, that, you know, the you're right net new account data or or prospecting data that's um that's really hard because now you don't have any information in, within your organization and you have to you have to start digging that out through external third party sources and that's a minefield that's a minefield of of what you're going to get you're going to get a lot of a uh, lot of bad apples you won't, you won't 
Uh, yeah, you, you won't if you use a reliable vendor. And uh, there, there are some particular characteristics about this field that attracts charlatans, frankly. But there are really good quality, dedicated companies in the market. You just need to avoid the bad guys and stick with the good guys. And the bad guys are really adept at mostly, I think, email marketing. They're sending out cold prospecting emails of their own saying, we have the best lists. And, and often they do outbound telemarketing. And um, it, it's the responsibility of the marketer to evaluate them carefully and avoid them. <laughs> Just not not do business with them. Evaluate them carefully and then avoid them entirely. Um, I yeah, that's good. That's a good that's a good advice. And because there there really are some some bad guys, some some who have actually gone to jail. Wow. Yeah. Right. I I haven't I haven't heard those war stories, but you know I also know that you have a pretty straightforward and 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 but very useful process for evaluating providers because you know let's be honest. Not everybody can afford the big players. You know, they could be expensive. They could be, you know, twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a year. Well, let me just challenge that a little bit. I know the way Zoom prices is on. Uh, they offer you a subscription to a platform, and you, using a kind of menu, you pick the the tar your target, and you pay a, a pretty hefty annual subscription fee. And within that, then you have all-you-can-eat access. But other vendors like Dun & Bradstreet and Infogroup, Starista, and many, many other reliable vendors will, uh, will charge you for what you buy and don't make you pay a subscription fee. So you want to shop around a bit. Another useful tip is that it's a good idea to request a sample. And usually a vendor will provide a sample at no, no cost, a small sample, I don't know, 500 accounts or something. And you can pour over it and, and get a feel for whether their data is going to suit your, your marketing need. I see. I see. So, yeah. So make sure you get samples and, uh, and, and definitely shop around for multiple different providers. Okay. But you're right. I do have this nine-point checklist. Do we have time to go through it? Yeah. Let's. Yep. Let's let's go through it. Sort of fun. I and your viewers can find it by searching for the article called "Beware of Dubious Data Providers." <laughs> we'll put it. We'll put it in the show notes. Okay. Please do. And I I boiled it down to nine criteria. And, and put it in the form of questions. And the first six questions, you want you want the answer to be yes. <laughs> and the last three, you want the answer to be no. So you begin with the, oh, and by the way, all of these questions can be researched without talking or maybe not, not all of them, but most of them, you can just do your research quickly and quietly without the pain of, you know, digging too deeply. So the first six are about the data that you'll find at their website. The first is, do they have a website that you can visit? You wouldn't believe how many of these guys are sending you emails and they don't even have a website that you can refer to. So that's a total red flag. Run 100 miles an hour in the other direction. Then check to see if they provide a physical 
business address at their website, wherever it may be. Remarkably, some don't. Do they have a company page on LinkedIn? Seems pretty obvious. And are the names of the management team or at least some responsible party visible on the website? It's very common in B2B today to meet our team or our leadership. So without that, it's, it's suspicious. Is there a client list on the website? Is there a testimonial on the website? Which of course can be ginned up or doctored. So, but at least it's a, a good thing if they have it. So those are the six that you want to say yes to. Yes to, yep. And the three that you want to say no to is, do they claim some kind of guaranteed productivity or responsiveness, accuracy, whatever? Um, that's a red flag. If they're saying, oh, yes, our data is 100% guaranteed to be accurate, just say, because eh, nobody can guarantee that. Just as we discussed the rapid decay of B2B data in, what did you say, 20%? Uh, a, a quarter, a, a year. year. Yeah, uh, four, four to six percent a month is the number that I usually throw around. It's uh, it's pretty impossible. Then, do they require a hundred percent prepayment? Forget about it, as we say here in New York City. Don't go there. And then the the last one, number nine, is is the sales rep contacting you through Gmail or some other non corporate or a corporate email address that is not consistent with the name of the company that they claim to represent. Some dodgy email. Yep. Dodgy. <laughs> so those are the, the tips. And, you know, with the, I, I, I did want to just pick up on the comment you made earlier about expense, because now certainly the way ZoomInfo is pricing, it is really expensive, but there are alternatives in companies who don't don't price in that kind of subscription way. But I would also make the point that price is actually not a, a re, a, an important factor in prospecting data acquisition because you're, the, the cost of the name, email address, company name, phone number, is such a minor part of the campaign expense that when you think about the cost per thousand to reach your prospects, the data is going to be so small that if you can increase the quality and accuracy of that data just a little bit, you will more than pay for the apparent expense of the higher priced spread. So I say we should avoid shopping for data on price in general terms. Now there are exceptions. I hope, yeah. I hope I've made it. That's a, no, that's a very good point because, you know, bad data, you know, uh, we have, there's, there's this term that, you know, bad data goes in, you know, you don't, you don't get your get great results coming out. So, uh, so that's, that makes perfect sense. And, uh, and, you know, getting, getting bad data or, that's just in a more practical sense, you have the wrong contact details of somebody and you're running a campaign. Let's say, you know, they're part of a very important account and you are sending them a, you know, $400 direct mail piece that it's very bespoke and, and you've done a lot of work. 
plus all the work that went into it in order to send that through, right? You all of a sudden lost a good chunk of uh, cash because of bad data, right? And it's going to the wrong person. It's going to someone that is not there anymore. So I completely understand where you're, what you're saying. Okay. Okay. I'd like to, I'd like to learn more about your $400 uh, direct mail package. I'll shoot one through your way. <laughs> <laughs> that would be yeah, that would be pretty bespoke and, and uh, nice looking direct mail. I would expect I would only be sending that kind of of um, bespoke package to someone that I had done a hell of a lot of research about. I agree with you. I I think I've exaggerated a little bit over there, yeah, Ruth. Yeah. But um, but, but uh, I was I was just down. trying to make a point. You know, I was just trying to make a point and uh, and drive it home. But Ruth, before yeah. we wrap up, I want to I want to go through a few rapid questions with you, um, sure. where uh, I'd love to get really short answers from your side, and then and then we'll wrap it up. So, question number one: What is one resource? It could be book, book, blog, a podcast, a talk, whatever it is that fundamentally changed the way you look, uh, you work, or live. Hmm. Well, I've been touting recently the talk on LinkedIn produced by David Meerman Scott. I'm a big fan of his. He's a PR professional in B2B marketing. And he he has a, a four or five minute video talk available on LinkedIn about how we need to be thinking during COVID about virtual events differently from our initial going in approach of, well, we'll just take our trade show or conference and we'll convert it to Zoom or will replicate it online. And he's saying, no, it's a completely different animal. We have to rethink. So I'm highly recommending that four or five minute talk to all of your listeners. Thank you so much. If you could give one advice to B2B marketers, what would it be? I'm going to give you two. One is make friends with your data. And the other is spend not quite as much time on customer acquisition, lead generation, and quite a bit more time on account penetration, loyalty, retention, cross-selling, upselling, and account account development. Okay. Third question might tie in kind of to the first one. I'm going to ask it anyway. What are the influencers that you follow in the marketing space? Mm. I I read a lot. I, one of my my favorites is Howard Sewell, who has an agency in Seattle called spear marketing and he has a wonderful newsletter called the point i'm also an active subscriber to marketing profs which is almost all b2b although they have some b2c stuff on there it's especially good for on the ground practitioners who need answers to tactical questions that they just got to get things done right away and then uh, for data about you know research reports and and updates on what's going on in B2B, I like the Demandgen Reports, which is a publishing company over in New Jersey that is always publishing white papers, research reports. They have conferences, events, and it's just a treasure trove of useful information. That's awesome. I'll I will definitely put those in the show note. Uh, so thanks. Thanks for that. And last question is, what's something that, that excites you about B2B today? Well, 
I, I think COVID is actually forcing us to be better marketers. So I'm sort of not excited so much as impressed that at least we're making a little bit of lemonade out of the lemons that have been handed to us. I, I agree with you. I agree. Well, Ruth, on that note, I really enjoyed our conversation. There's been plenty of golden nuggets in this chat from you know where to source data, how to source it, how not to source it, uh, where to start, and, and so on and so forth. So I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the uh, as a guest on, on the podcast and, uh, and, and definitely look forward to having you again. A lot of fun. Thank you very much. Hey, it's Alex again from X-Growth. Thanks so much for joining us on this episode. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you take a moment to rate us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help get the word out to other B2B professionals. If you're hungry for more B2B content, make sure to join our Slack channel at growthcolony.org forward slash Slack, where we share the latest B2B news tactics, tips, and chat about problems we're facing in the B2B space and find solutions together. That's growthcolony.org forward slash Slack. Thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you in the next episode.